0: In this episode, world-class teacher and facilitator, Natasha Ryan D'Amelio, will teach you how to use your challenges as a catalyst for transformation, and how to follow your bliss in life, despite the challenges that may come your way. And also, you will learn about valuable lessons that you can take and use from Willy Wonka, Mary Poppins, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and even... Dr. Seuss. Let's jump in.
1: The Life I Deserve, sharing creative ideas, inspirational stories, and fresh perspectives that will empower you to live your life to the fullest.
0: Hi, I'm Jack Campfield, and you're listening to "The Life I Deserve" by my good friend Adrian McMillan. This is Adrian McMillan, and you are watching or listening to the Goal Show brought to you by "The Life I Deserve." The woman that I have the absolute pleasure of introducing you to is the founder of the Capital Growth Group and the Growth Factors for Entrepreneurs, based in beautiful Seattle, Washington. Capital Growth developed their proprietary organizational development model to identify values of team, company, and individuals, to discover corporate culture strengths and deficiencies. They work with business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs to guide and develop culture, improve productivity, increase performance, reduce loss, dissension, and growth pains. They offer an assessment which includes a present day analysis of where your company is and what it will take ...to drive strategic initiative into scalable and systematic growth. Natasha and her company are helping people and companies move to where they ultimately want to be. Natasha is a world-class teacher and facilitator, as well as a leading expert on all aspects of building growth groups and gatherings, as business building tools. Natasha is a trained, certified commercial investment member, cultural training and transformation practitioner a Canfield Certified Trainer and Assistant, Harbor Business Extension School member, and a results.org advocate. All of this incredible experience and expertise sits on top of her battlefield training through nine years in corporate America, until 2009 when she began her strategic business development consulting practice. But today, she's all yours. By the end of your time with her, you'll understand why she has become one of the most inspiring Educational presenters on the planet. She leads with heart, integrity, humor, and she's a lot of fun. Believe me, I've seen her live in person. I'm very excited to share her with you. Not only will you learn a lot today, but you'll be inspired and entertained as you learn. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you'll give a huge welcome and a lot of love to Natasha Ryan.
1: Wow. (laughs) Oh, wow. Thank you for the introduction that's uh it's always humbling and a little bit awkward to hear about yourself
0: (laughs) well you deserve it you you have accomplished so much in your life already and also I actually want to start off by letting my audience get to know Natasha and a little bit about where she came from her history and kind of how she got to where she is today well
1: uh I don't I don't know that there's any quick, easy way to say that, but I would say first that I'm a mom and a wife, a sister, aunt, you know, all these things. But at the core of my whole self, I am the geekiest data-driven person you've ever met. And so in doing that, becoming a strategic business consultant really seemed like the best fit for life and it has served me well. Um, I think we all often kind of overlook our roles in life and we tend to fit our roles um, rather than bringing our whole selves. Well, uh, thank you for having me. I did want to share though, outside of the script, some things about you because I don't want it to be all about me. I don't feel like that's a good friendship. So is that okay to share now or share later? Or what do you think?
0: Sure. Yeah, I guess we'll find out how embarrassing it might be. Yeah, but let's go for it.
1: All right. Well, uh, thank you for having me. In preparing for the show, I thought I would kind of make a list for you of three of my favorite things about Adrian. Are you ready?
0: Yeah, It's like of a course. countdown.
1: It's like live TV. <laughs> Number one, dancing. <laughs> you are so energetic and enthusiastic on stage. I love how you're like fearless and ready to just like break it down and look out if salsa music comes on because it's gonna be a party. <laughs> Number two, you are incredibly motivating. I remember going through a really vulnerable uh, moment with you at a workshop. And um, what happened as I kind of shared about some things I don't normally share in public um, was a lot of the people in the room had a reaction and it and it caused a reaction in one of the members and you jumped out of your chair, grabbed her by the arm and pulled her on the stage. And just encouraged her to work through what it was she had that was up for her at the time. And you gave really generous and individual and specific attention to her. And that has always stuck with me um, as just how impassioned you are for the human spirit. And three, while you are dancing and motivating, (laughs) you're also incredibly vulnerable. And we were at a group dinner one night. I don't know if you remember this. Um, but you were opening up about your personal life and personal struggles as we all do, and you know personal development, um, growth communities. and it was really um, it's a unusual honor to see particularly a high energy uh, male opening up and breaking down and being really sincere and and real. So I know that's what you bring to your program and your stage and your Uh, client, but I want to acknowledge you personally and just tell you that you're incredible and I'm honored to be here
0: today. Wow. Thank you. That means a lot to me, Natasha. You know, yeah. Okay. I'm going to touch on these points. Dancing. I love it. Yes. I will take every opportunity I I get to do some dancing. And the second point you mentioned, pulling the, the, the person on stage you know, I felt like that was not even a decision. It felt like, it felt like something that almost had to be done because, you know, we were there for a week long workshop, and it just at that moment felt like if if nothing else happens during this workshop, you know, let's help this person get through this. Yeah. It, you know, it was, it just it just felt like the natural things to do. So, but thank you for acknowledging that, and being vulnerable. I I feel like. You know, I've been so inspired by so many people, Uh, you know, Jack Canfield, one of the, 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 my biggest inspirations and it's helped me through a lot. And I just, I, I know that I can connect and help more people by opening up more. So I'm constantly trying to, to be transparent and be vulnerable because I, I think it's the, it's one of our best ways that we can let other people know that we're human and and we've been through, you know, what they might be going through. So, thank you, thank you for acknowledging that.
1: You bet. Thank you for reaching out. Um, kind of to introduce myself, you asked me to tell you about myself, and I wanted to tell you more about you first. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am a mom and a wife, a sister and an aunt, but really, I'm a data-driven, strategic business consultant packaged with all of those things inside I think we are often all overlook our own roles in life and we tend to fit our roles rather than bringing our whole selves into them and you know I was raised by the hope and imagination of sort of a bygone era um, on Seuss and Lombardi and Streisand and Sinatra when I was young in junior high I've never told this to anyone (laughs) never told this to anyone but um I would come home from school, and my parents had just gotten a disc player for the house. Like it had speakers, and you could play a CD because CDs were new. <laughs> and we're dating ourselves here. Um, and I was so excited. And they got the Sinatra Reprise uh, album. And I would play that album on loop and dance on the couches and jump off and be like, luck, be a lady. <laughs> and I would just be just the geekiest, you know, 12, 13 year old girl. And when someone would come home, the music would still be on sometimes. And I'd like go straight into like robot mode. Oh, hi, it was a good day. (laughs) Like pretend nothing happened. So that's the core, like the human in me uh, when I'm really relaxed in my whole person, whole self. That's what I bring to myself as a wife. And as a mom, we have a lot of tickle fights and dance parties and laugh offs. (laughs) In our house. And uh, I try to bring that to my clients as well because if life's not fun, then it's not fun. And we don't, don't want to live in that void. So um, I grew up with like quotes on my wall. I don't know if that resonates for you or any of the listeners, but some of my favorite quotes that I can remember saying, like conversationally saying as a young adult, were those who mind don't matter, and those who matter don't mind. And that was a Dr. Seuss book. I don't actually know which book, but um, it always stuck with me like how twisty that is that we give all of our greatness away to the people who judge us instead of keeping our greatness strong and giving it regardless of how somebody takes it. Because the people who matter in life, your greatest supporters, want you to be authentically and entirely you. So um, I wanted to share that and just a Quick, like list of quotes for fun. Um, Willy Wonka before he was Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back when he was a novel, I read him when I was young, and uh, he said, "We are the music makers and the dreamer of dreams." And I don't know that anything is more true than that. I mean, we can't hear music that's not made, and we can't dream dreams that aren't. We have to go to sleep to dream them. So. Um, if we can't learn to relax and listen, what are we mm-hmm. you know, So that I just really love that. My favorite, favorite all time, just straight quote, like out of a quote, man uh, is Vince Lombardi. The difference between successful people and others is not a lack of strength, not a lack of knowledge, but rather a lack of will. And uh, I think no truer words have ever been spoken. That is straight head-on like confrontational it's game time and uh and and we are people um which brings me to funny girl I don't know if you ever saw that uh musical but Barbara Streisand I almost can't say it without singing <laughs> <laughs> um broke down in this really emotional song and it was people who people who need people are the luckiest people in the world and it was this long tortured like Oh, ballad. And it was gloriously sad and beautiful at the same time. But I I think so often we pride ourselves on being individuals and standing against the man and doing the thing that's odd man out, but we need other people, you know. It's uh it's the human condition is not to be a lone man standing on top of a mountain and taking it by yourself. It's it's a lot more fun to have a pack with you. And as Mr. Sinatra says, that's life. That's the way it's going to (laughs) be.
0: Wow. That's a beautiful collection of quotes. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. And I uh, definitely uh, agree that it's your Vincent Lombardi quote about it's, it's not the lack of strength, not the lack of knowledge, but rather the lack of will. There's so many examples of that. There's people who are not, they don't have all the education. They don't have all the experience, but they just take action. those are the people that get stuff done.
1: Yeah. That is so true. We went to uh, Disneyland a couple weeks ago, just for a day. And uh, my son says, I want to take a picture with the mouse guy. And I had no idea who he was talking about. I assumed it was Mickey. And it was the statue of Walt Disney with the Mickey Mouse in front of it that he wanted the picture with. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting. You'd think he was after the live character. And he said, because he's the one that dreamed this whole thing so we could come on vacation. Wow. And it's like, oh, that is so cool. So it's, you know, it, it's a, it doesn't just hit us when we're, we want it to or when we want to go do a program or show up at work or show up in parenting. It hits us deep. Like we, you don't have to be at any specific age for growth, inside out growth to hit you. It hits everyone.
0: Wow. And how old is your son? He's six. Six. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people used to call Walt Disney crazy because he had yeah. that vision years ago of Disneyland.
1: Yeah. Well, can you imagine today, like right now, if you said, I mean, he wasn't in his teens when he started. He was in his 20s and 30s. But if right now you and I like broke out and said, we're going to make a billion dollar empire with 18 multi-billion dollar locations, and there's going to be, you know, 70 million people a day (laughs) coming to these destinations, people would sign out of the show right now. You know, you go, well, that's crazy. But the reality is it's crazy to limit yourself because somebody else is going to like bump up against you. If that's your impassioned drive in life, do that. It, for me, that's not mine. So it wouldn't fit. It wouldn't work for me, but to see somebody else do it and in a lifetime, in the time our parents were born and have been here and left, empires have been created. So it's not, it's not someone else, it is us.
0: Yeah, I agree, so well said. So how did you determine your purpose in life? When did that occur is that an evolving uh, pursuit?
1: Well, I think life purpose is something that exists and we uh, tweak and fight it along the way. Um, when I was really young, I just thought my job was to be here and teach people to be nice to each other and have fun. Like it just seemed like people were miserable. There was a lot of, you know financial issues in the town I grew up in, and um, there was a big a company, Microsoft went public. And a lot of the people in the town I grew up in were in single family homes, ramblers, you know, very modest, uh, 800, 900 square foot, three bedroom houses. And all of a sudden everyone got rich. And, uh, and I was like 10 (laughs) and, um, my family didn't get rich and that didn't seem like a problem until my friends, um, started breaking off and, and living a life that my family didn't keep up with or couldn't afford to keep up with. Um, and it was in that that I thought, wow, that's really ridiculous <laughs> that you and I can't be friends because I can't afford to go where you want to go. And I it just really, it never sat right with me. And between that and a number of other things in my formative years that are not Necessarily, the glitter and rainbows that we sprinkle all over, you know, a first meeting. Um, it just seemed like life is not supposed to be so tortured that there's a lot of fun to be had and a lot of good to be spread, and and that was the basis of it. And I really remember that from young, very very young years, like five, six, seven. But also, I grew up in a time that seems gen, multi-generationally past. Um, where, you know, you tuned in your TV on your UHF, VHF (laughs) box. Uh, You didn't have on-demand. If you were lucky, you had VHSs. Cell phones weren't the thing. I grew up dialing on a rotary phone. I mean, it's a time that is precious to me and also totally out of date. But in that, the grace of that was I grew up on a lot of VHSs and I grew up on the sound of music. And the opening scene to Sound of Music, they don't make movies that just give you like a seven minute like run across a field (laughs) (laughs) anymore. Like now it's like, and hello, and the movie starts. But with Sound of Music, it was grandeur. It was hours. There was the intermission, you know, you had to change the VHS and put the new one in. And, um, you know, it just seemed so glorious that you could like run up a hill and sing the whole way. And it was like, (laughs) <laughs> it was, I'm not a singer, but um, it was just grand. And then the dichotomy of that, and then the nuns in the, in the, um, I've forgotten the name, the convent. place where nuns go, convent, thank you, <laughs> um, between her running up the hills and then the nuns in the convent debating, like, what's wrong with Maria? Like, how do you solve a problem like her? And there was no problem. She just didn't quite fit the crowd she was in and my favorite song well there's no such thing as a favorite song but one of my favorite takeaways from that uh, movie was her song I Have Confidence do you remember that song
0: I uh, if you sing I w- I'm sure I'll recognize it. she's
1: like she's getting sent to the from oh the abbey she's getting sent from the abbey to Captain Von Trapp's house and she's like oh all like downtrodden and depressed and then she's got her luggage and her old like just quaint outfit on and she's running and she starts singing, I have confidence in sunshine. I have confidence in rain. So I have confidence in sunshine. I have confidence in rain. And then at the end, she's like, I have confidence that spring will come again. It's all up to me. I have confidence in me. And that really like drove home for me um, throughout my childhood. Like that, I to this day could, you will never see a happier person than me watching sound of music. It like lights up my whole person. Um, That has just stuck with me. Like to spread good and to create a fun world for us all to live and thrive in, you have to be confident in that because you're going up against a lot of people that have real struggles in their life and real struggles I have gone through and come out of, but they don't want to hope you can help them. And then you're meeting them with like indecision. And well, I think, yeah, I mean, maybe I I can, yeah, let's, let's uh, get together sometime. Nobody wants that. You (laughs) want to say, Oh, I'd love to meet, you know, let's sit down and meet. That's how you get a client meeting or yeah. I would love to have you come to my workshop. You want to have confidence in what you're doing and you want to, allow other people to enjoy that because it's a gift to be able to just own who you are. And, and, uh, and it's a craft really, to be able to get there. So that um, Chichi Bang Bang and Mary Poppins, I mean, Chi Bang Bang, the fact that there was somebody named truly scrumptious is just, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's ridiculous and amazing. We should all have such names because for reasons unbeknownst to me, we don't, uh, name characters like that, but that's really what movies were about was to escape into grandeur and, um, something greater than ourselves. And I just love that, you know, who doesn't want to be truly scrumptious and, uh, and the like imagination of uh, tinkering with a car and you can make it float and fly and, you know, our fine four-fendered love that it's just amazing Uh, Mary Poppins though has to be like all-time most actionable self-development movie (laughs) (laughs) because I do you remember the scene where she went and uh, I don't remember whose house it was but she went with Bert to these this gentleman's house and they were laughing on the ceiling
0: I vaguely and, remember that.
1: And she was like, what's going on here? And these people are floating in the sky. And, and they're like, we're just laughing. Ha, 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 ha. And the song was, I love to laugh. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and, uh, and they laughed all kinds of ways, like the snakes and like a jolly-bellied guy. Ha, 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 ha. And they went through all these laughters. And that just romanced the joy of life into me and out of me, um, along with, of course, everyone loves a little sugar when you've got to take the medicine down. And I think often overlooked is that we are all practically perfect. And that was the biggest takeaway that Mary Poppins left us all with, but just so subtly, like you're practically perfect in every way. It's, we're just not ever going to be wholly perfect. And we should let that go. And we should celebrate everything that's amazing about our lives and, you know, collectively I've gone a little off course going too far into old movies, but um, all that childhood inspiration and fun just really has been packaged up in the last couple of years. And my mission in life is to support individuals in personal growth and help businesses develop systems, not just for their products, but to get those products developed in a way that has a process that's systematic and helps develop the humans inside. So I call that human capital. I think often uh, we look at the humanity of a company as a break room, snack bars and hmm. uh, paid time off. And we forget that, you know, they're, they have to show up and come every day too. I, I many times had to go to work and it was a bad day or a bad night. You know, you, you spend a night up and it's three, four o'clock in the morning before you go to bed. If you go to bed at all and you show up in the office and you're making it through the day, and you've you've given yourself and put everything that's of personal value to you aside to maintain that company's um, prerogatives And you've sold that part of yourself. And I, I feel so often we forget that you know a bad day at home um, is normal. First of all, we all have bad days, and we can make them not as bad uh, by learning some success tools. But it doesn't mean life's going to be all rainbows and butterflies. Um, But if you can refine that vision and get yourself to finding the rainbows faster, you're going to be a lot happier a lot sooner. And we can help companies and individuals do that through days like this.
0: I love that. So you've taken all that you've learned and all your experiences and you've transformed that into these systems to help companies and departments and teams. I love that. So Could you elaborate on that? Like, How did you come up with these valuable processes and these valuable tools that you're able to provide these companies?
1: Yeah, well, so two things I think are really big is one is my own personal experience and two is seeking out the experience of others. Um, My own experience in life as a young single mom was I became really immediately dependent on government aid. I lived with my parents when my son was born. He's now 16, and um, but when I lived with my parents, uh, that didn't work for me. I I couldn't live to. They had young kids in the house. I couldn't live to their routines and schedules. So I moved out. But as a young mom, you're barely breaking minimum wage, and uh, daycare is six, eight hundred, fifteen hundred dollars a month, depending on where you're at. And rent is $800 a month. And on minimum wage, you're breaking even after tax at 15, 1600, if you're lucky. Like today, that's what you would break even at. That's not what I was making (laughs) at the time. And um, and the reality about that is that something's gotta change or you have to succumb to that forever. So I um, had a number of fortunate hiring opportunities. I always was strange in an interview, um, but my favorite interview was, well, I have this saying, which is that every interview I've ever gone to, I've been accepted, and I think it's because I'm not really focused on skill set. I'm focused on humanity in an interview, and uh, my favorite interview ever, I was 21, and it was with an avionics company, and I had no professional uh, training to work there, and I was a receptionist. And, uh, the owner, the CEO of a $6 million company says, well, why do you want this job? And, uh, there's kind of normalized answers that people would give, but I had just lost my grandpa and my grandfather was a executive in aerospace and avionics. And I said, I don't know, but my grandfather just passed away two weeks ago. And it's the hardest thing that's ever happened in my life. And, for some reason, I feel like I've been called to um, learn about avionics, and you have planes sitting behind you on your desk, <laughs> and it <laughs> makes me feel at home, and so I want the job so I can figure out uh, where I belong, because I need to make money, but I want to do it somewhere I want to be. To this day, I, I, you would not find that in a how to take an interview manual. <laughs> um and it's probably the best, most honest part of me that I look back and go, wow, that was so courageous that that's what that honesty just spilled out. And and that's really where I how I got there. So in getting that job, um, I was hired on as the receptionist. That company went through two or three acquisition cycles. They were merged with another company locally. Then they were purchased by a company in Canada. Then they were purchased by a company. That Canadian company was then purchased by a company in England. And in doing that, I went from one job role to another because uh, I wanted to be of service and they didn't necessarily need a receptionist anymore, but now they needed somebody in accounts payable. Then accounts payable shipped out to another country and uh, they didn't need someone in accounts payable. They needed someone in uh, COBRA human resource management. So they sent me to training and I did that for almost a year. And then that company got, you know, that was part of the acquisition cycle, and then they put me into marketing, and then I did that for a couple of years. And then, again, it happened, and um, I, I went into document control, which is the gateway between engineering and production. And in going through all those roles, I experienced drastically different challenges and things I had to grow through. But uh, the common denominator for me was that every day I still had to do it and uh it wasn't always fun like going into uh an engineering company with no engineering training uh is intimidating to say the least but also you have to appeal to the humanity of the people you work with because it was like oh i don't i've never done this before i have no training you have a three master's degrees and five different you know (laughs) <laughs> categories and economics and engineering and electrical physics or whatever, and um, and it was really intimidating. So going through all those transitions, I I had to learn to ask for help, and I also learned how difficult it is um, to ask for help and how resistant people are to giving it. It it was there's this really uh, available comfortable space for us in an office to say, this is my job and, and live in job description mentality. And a lot of people don't, if it's not in their job description, um, they resist it or they don't want to do it. And if it's in their job description, they don't want you doing it and challenging their value in an office. And I experienced that firsthand. Like I was like, I'm, I'm just a single mom. I'm trying to go home and feed my kid. I am, you know, trying to get this whatever marketing piece put together. Could you help me? And I think in really appealing to the humanity in people and breaking that part of myself down, um, is where I, is where I learned those skills. And also, um, I then left that company cause I didn't want to be in avionics. I wanted to be in commercial investment, real estate. And, um, and I was successful in that. And the irony was the same thing happened at that company. Um, I hired on. They had just gone through an acquisition cycle. A year later, they had been bought and sold. A year later, they had been bought and sold. And I made it through a number of um, of layoff rounds as that was happening. And then uh, I didn't. And I knew it was coming because I had been the person that uh, walked in and said, the systems are broken. <laughs> uh, they don't work here. And I can't I can't function with this like spreadsheet system you guys have. I would like permission to build my own database and, you know, data. Uh, create a data system for this uh, acquisitions dispositions. It's a pension fund management company, and they honestly, it was their um, willingness to honor that that allowed me to find greatness um, in myself and in the risk because when I did that, I didn't have any skills or training to do it. I knew I could do it. Uh, I knew I was smart enough and geeky enough. I had owned a TV in 10 years. So every waking minute that I was entertaining myself was a textbook or a library book or, a um, well, that was it. Cause there was not internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I mean, there was internet, but I was poor, so I didn't have internet. <laughs> Let's clarify. Um, but I spent all my time educating myself. So that their trust in that allowed me to do amazing things there. And I created a database. And in the first year, uh, from when I created it to when I delivered it, uh, we could do on-demand analytics for their, all their acquisitions, dispositions, um, decision-making. And it, at the point of launch tracked $23 billion in considerations for the previous six months. And today it's in the trillions. And uh, that I was gifted with this community of people that when I said, oh, will you help me with this? They said, yes. And those yeses are so minute, but so powerful uh, if you can keep pushing up against that and asking for the help and support. And so in doing that, uh, when the layoff came, you know, I mentioned the layoff, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it came and they called me in and my boss, the woman who was immediately above me was crying and it was terrible because I knew it was coming because I was managing all the data. (laughs) So I had in the months before that, uh, moved to a new apartment. That was 50% of the cost. And, um, done a lot of things just to cut everything I could to know I could live on sort of a transitional wage if I had to. Mm -hmm. And, um, I I go into the meeting and I know it's a layoff meeting. It's, I've gone to the HR lady the night before and said, you know, can you confirm or deny this? (laughs) And she said, I can't talk to you about that. But, um, you're welcome to sit and share whatever you'd like to share. And she just created space for me to be a human. And I said, you know, when I was growing up, the way I grew up, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. Not that they were filthy rich or wealthy, but they went from broke to not broke. And that's really where most of us are. And I remember all the nights where my, one of my parents would be sitting on the couch and talking about how someone would have to be laid off the next day. And it was their company. So them laying someone off was heart-wrenching. And I just, I would think, oh, why do they have to lay off Jim? Like, oh, you know, that's awful. And they would be sitting on the couch, like really discussing, like, how can we help him after he's laid off um, find a new job? Oh, well, let's call this guy, that guy, the other. And so I was sharing with her. I said, I know you're not allowed to technically Tell me you're laying me off, um, but the fact that you're not denying it says you absolutely are. Because when you're not laying people off, that's what you do. And um, and so I was sharing with her about that experience. And and at the end, it was really more of a monologue meeting because she had to play the HR line. It was one of these companies where you get laid off, and then you get your person walk out. There's no, this not um, a friendly pack up your bag and <laughs> take your time a bunch of people are getting laid off and we don't want to create havoc and freak everyone out. So um, you walk out of her office and into the elevator. That's it. And uh, she, so I get in the meeting. I I digress here. I get in the meeting. My boss is crying and she's smiling, the HR woman. And I thought, well, this is just a very strange moment (laughs) in life. And uh, she said, well, the bad news is, as you well know, Uh, This will be your last day as an employee here. The good news is we'd like to bring you back at twice the pay as a consultant. As long as you wait two weeks (laughs) so we can like calm down all the energies here. Um, But we value your work and your commitment to the, you know, the data system that you have built and we need help finishing that out and you're a great team player. And so we'd like you to come back. And it was, that was how I went from being an employee to a consultant. And it was life-changing. And I rem- I'll never forget, she said to me, thank you for being real with me last night. And she was referring to me telling her about growing up in an entrepreneurial family. And I just thought it's just tragic that we aren't all more real. So that's really how I broke from employee life into consulting life. It was a, a very comfortable break. Um, and then after that, I had to go hustle and kind of create it on my own and redefine myself because I was still functioning effectively as an employee, um, doing primarily what I did before. Uh, so then I had to go recreate it and, and build myself up over time.
0: Wow, that's great. You know, if you if you weren't so transparent, uh, maybe that opportunity would not have been available. I, I don't know. It may have just been that conversation the night before that actually made that <laughs> made that decision possible. Yeah. Made that uh, made her come to that conclusion. And then also, it sounds like you're you're always just kind of thinking with an entrepreneurial mind of you know because a lot of people, like you said, they're in their position. That is their vision. It's just yeah. limited to their position. But you have this entrepreneurial mindset where you're kind of like well this company kind of needs this or that this things will work better. And they obviously must've recognized that as well. And kudos to you. Amazing.
1: Thank you. Yeah. It was a, it was a gift to be able to work somewhere where I could just feel like we're just going to be honest everywhere we are. And um, not everyone loved that.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) To keep it honest. Not everyone loved that. There was a lot of resistance. But, uh, you know, then the lunches you have with the people who are in your team are amazing because you're not talking about BS and how come this guy didn't do that and you're not stuck in that rumor mill, you're like solution driven, which is a game changer for any company. Getting your team solution oriented instead of task oriented is all the difference.
0: Yeah. And that extreme honesty, you know, it can catch a lot of people off guard but I think the people who really, truly care about a like a better company, a better organization, even if they are caught off guard, later they come around and be like, "Yeah, you're right. Wow. Yeah, for sharing that. Thank you for that insight. Do you want to share any other challenges that you faced and how you kind of overcame those?
1: So here's the reality: is in before I showed up, uh, being a single mom, I was a child, and then I was a teenager, and then I was a little bit not a teenager, and I had a job, and I was going to college, and I was on the volleyball team, and all along the way, I had to figure out those roles, but uh, as I was growing up, I was unfortunately exposed to a lot of people who wanted a lot of things that weren't appropriate for them to be using a child for, and that results in a lot of childhood abuse, and what, what that did for me was It created this normalcy around um, putting myself second. And then I became comfortable, and I I don't wanna say the word is attracted, but really comfortable in um, accepting the red flags that DV relationship, domestic violence relationships um, hold. And I would fall in love with somebody like in a long term, like a five-year relationship who was either addicted to something verbally or mentally abusive. Um, And I I just thought, you know, I want someone to love me at the end of the day. Um, Don't they deserve that too? And (laughs) for 15 years, I uh, went through three different really long-term relationships, um, five years, three years, another five years, um just thinking if i could love them out of it and and that love conquers all and all we need is love and that's true but we also need skill <laughs> and uh we need understanding and compassion that's not at our own cost and i experienced a lot of that young and then kind of unknowingly kept regenerating it for myself so you know, I, I have this saying, which is that you have to believe in your future more than you believe in your past. And I call that growth step number one, because if tomorrow isn't going to be better than today, we would all be a hopeless person. Um, Humanity is about learning to stand in the eye of the storm and sit in the crap when it gets stinky. But when you're sitting there, even if you're like meditating or in a deep, like, You go to the deepest transcendental space that's ever lived, you still have to hold on to that there's opportunity and potential and hope. And, um, you know, I'm Christian, so I call it faith, but that something tomorrow is going to be at least just a micro, a micro particle better than today. And um, so coming out of childhood abuse really helped formulate a lot of my decisions in young adult, uh, life personally, and also being a single mom at 19. I mean, I, or I was pregnant at 19. I delivered when I was 20, but that is, um, <laughs> you know, you can only really know the pain when you're sitting in it. And, uh, I will never forget my uncle, uh, is a saint and he is a gay man and he was a single gay man and he is a successful single gay man and above all that he's a man and he's my uncle and he invited me out to dinner one night and he took me to the show is i think it was motown um at the 5th avenue theater like the live like duop like <laughs> awesome uh show and we went to dinner and he said i wanted to take you out because you're a single parent. And my son was about five at the time. And what advice do you have for me? And I didn't hear the advice from myself coming out. I didn't know I, I knew something greater than I was aware of, but I said, there's not going to be anyone there at night to help you. And that's true as anything. I mean, single parenting, when the going gets tough, I mean, It's just tough. No one's throwing in a towel to help you out. You're alone. Like your kids throwing up everywhere. There's not someone else to run a bucket by your side. You have to decide whether to carry the throwing up kid through the house, um, or to leave them there throwing up and get a bucket. I mean, sorry, that's graphic, (laughs) but that's the reality. Uh, When you're a single parent, you're alone in it, and it's really, really hard. And and um, we had a great night that night, but it was in years later. Uh, I mean, like eight years later, he um, came to me and said, You gave me some of the best advice any person has ever given me. And I was like, What is it? And he said, That there's no one else there at night. It's just you. When you're choosing to be a single parent, you're a single parent. And man, I mean, I refelt my own pain when he said that. And, um, he is an absolute saint he has adopted two children and they're beautiful and now they're in a loving home with married parents and uh, his home is like you could not ask for a more loving person he's an advocate he fights for children he leads literally companies um, that educate children and but to hear someone of stature because i held him in a high regard in my life Um, say, you told me something, I thought, whoa, wait, I should probably tell more of the things I know (laughs) because I thought I was alone and I was, but there were also times when I could have found people and I focused more on that. I was alone at night instead of that there were people who I could call. Um, And And so, you know, really kind of that really plays into breaking through that glass ceiling. And you, like, for me, I really had to find a place where I could believe in myself more than I believe anything else. Like, you can have your faith and that has to, that guides me. And it reminds me that sometimes just this isn't enough. I have to look up or look out because there's a hand waiting. But man, if, if you don't believe in you getting through it, that hopeless feeling will really tank you and hold you back for years. Um, I, you know, that avionics company I was talking about, I, I wasn't well paid when I started there. And, um, I was on a lot of public assistance going back to the struggles. And one day I got a 25 cent an hour raise. And now this was a big deal because nobody was getting raises. And, um, this was awesome. And that's, you know, 500 bucks a year, $45 a month. When you're living on that low of a ratio, that's a lot of money. And I called to update my aid papers with the state and the woman on the other line uh, said, well, you're going to have to either go back and tell them you don't want the raise or get kicked off of this particular program. And it was the program that covered childcare. And that childcare was $1,100 a month. And at a $45 a month raise bracket, (laughs) um, that math is really unfortunate for me. So I was trapped in sort of this decision of a lifetime, which is what would my boss think about me if I went back and said, hey, thank you for that raise. I'd like you to continue holding me in high regard. By the way, I'm on public assistance. Um there are laws against workplace discrimination, so please don't discriminate me, but um now you know something that I wasn't required to tell you, and I can't take your raise, but I'd like you to continue to promote me and think highly of me and um and keep your twenty five cents and and by the way, don't ever give me another raise again until it breaks eleven hundred dollars a month there's i mean that's insane. Can't go to your boss and say that. And so I was really handcuffed uh, between a rock and a hard place. And I probably cried for three nights (laughs) going to work, like trying to deal with, you know, how this is going to work. And, uh, and then I called the state and said, you're going to have to take me off assistance. I have to keep the raise. And I knew doing that, I was going to have to choose some hard choices Uh, and I didn't realize that I didn't see coming that it was going to be every third month, my power would be turned off and (laughs) I would get in, uh, billing, uh, issues with the childcare provider and, you know, you'd get the pay or vacate notice. It was terrifying. And, but I just knew, okay, I'm going to be so great at work. I'm going to earn that $1,100 raise without telling them that's what I'm after. And that's really how I worked as those acquisition cycles were going, that's how I worked that gap was, oh, well, I can provide more value. How can I provide more value? What can I do? And I would say, what you know, what does it take to get a raise around here? That was my closest thing to being vulnerable in that way at the office. And they would tell me and then I would do it. And um, And that's how I got off of government assistance. And breaking that glass ceiling though, really it just, you have to believe in you more than you believe in anything else, because you're the one that has to go out and fight the fire. You're the one that has to go out and figure out how many pennies are in your cup holder. (laughs) You're the one that's got to live through that. And, um, you can do it and I could do it again if I had to, and we are all capable. It's a lot easier though, if you have community and people around you, uh, to support you through that. And I think probably like the only other thing I would share for the sake of time um, was a really big, big struggle, which I just kind of touched on, was moving in my mindset from broke to boss. And that is really this conundrum of, you know, are you going to stay put or are you going to hustle up? I, I quote Vince Lombardi all the time, but it's really going back to that. Is a lack of strength, a lack of knowledge, or rather, lack of will? And we can go to the gym and get stronger. We can go to the library and get smarter, or Google. Um, but if we are not doing those things, we're just willfully allowing other things to happen to us. And when you choose to fight through those boundaries, you're really finding people who hustle like you, and that's how you kind of grow in that community. And in doing that, I, I we'll have to have another interview to tell you about my Costco fail, but it was epic. I was chosen uh, for this cutting edge mentoring opportunity with one of the guys who founded Costco and um, he was my mentor and I went every month and met with him. And in the middle of it, again, this is a long time ago, cell phones were not readily available. And certainly as a broke single mom, I didn't have one. Um, My son got really sick. He was in the hospital for five days And I didn't have like post-it notes in my pockets with every person's phone number ever. There weren't contacts readily available. Like it is today. You could figure it out um, today, but it was, it was back in the time where you look at a map, you get the directions, you write them down on a piece of paper and you drive yourself there looking at your notes the whole way. I mean, (laughs) it was a different time. And so while my son was in the hospital, um, I missed a meeting with my mentor and I didn't have a way to call him. Or let him know, and I didn't have a smartphone, so I certainly didn't have an email um, capability. Although email existed, and it was probably one of those moments you look back on, you're like, "That was the big opportunity of a lifetime," and it was. And um, universally, I just I wasn't ready for it. You know, maybe had I had it, his name and number on a post it, <laughs> I could have called him, but. That next meeting, it just, the energy never got right again. You know, the why did you miss the last meeting uh, conversation? While it was honest, I wasn't really able to be authentic and vulnerable and um, just transparent and say, well, blah. Hmm. (laughs) This is real life. I said, oh, my son was in the hospital. And in my head, I was like, please don't judge me. Please don't kick me out of this program. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And you know it—it it was just sort of a non-starter, which is fine. It was—I learned more probably from not getting that opportunity than maybe I would have if I gave me a job in the corporate office. Um, so, yeah, there—there are—I think we all have many and many profound struggles when we're willing to sit and just look back at our life and sit with ourselves and our memories and look at them. Uh, but I would say those are some of the biggest struggles I've had.
0: Wow! All those struggles, all those challenges in your life, and and look at you today—you're just shining, and you're helping people to, you know, to to really live to their full potential. It's amazing. How can people learn more about what you have to offer and how you can help them or their company?
1: Yeah, so we have uh, programs, public programs for individuals and entrepreneurs, anyone in like coaching, uh, small business people like massage therapists, um, psychologists that operate private practices. um, It's a really great place where you don't need to work necessarily on a a full-scale leadership program in-house, but the leadership of you. And so that's what the growth factors focuses on. We do one-on-one coaching workshops and retreats. And um, you can also learn about the work we do in-house with entrepreneurs and executives that are leading teams. Uh, we are right now offering a substantial discount on the human capital assessment um, up front so that you can have that experience and knowledge to see if it's something you want to uh, go down the path of learning more about. Uh, we also do in-house lunch and learns corporate team planning uh, around systems and then executive coaching and board and executive retreats. So, we have a lot of fun. Um, We are very real and we don't force that upon you. If you want to do that, that's great, but you're always going to get truth and honesty from us. And, and uh, from me as, as the leader, um, you know, if we can find more goodness and have more fun, well, then it'll
0: be a better world. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Natasha, for your time. And for all of you listening or watching, please check out Natasha has to offer, you will not be disappointed. She is very inspiring, very motivating, and has incredible amount of experience and and lessons uh, to share and to learn from. And she can tell you how to work past all your challenges. So thank you again, Natasha. It's been a pleasure to have you on my show. Thank you. In this episode, you heard the challenges that Natasha had to overcome to really take control of her life. To help you to gain control over your own life, I'm providing you with a free gift. Just go to thelifeideserve.com slash control for a free guide on how you can begin to take control of your life today and to start building the life that you truly deserve. Again, thelifeideserve.com slash control.
1: Thanks for listening. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to live a passionate, fulfilling life. Subscribe so we can take this journey together. A journey of sharing, learning, and growing. A journey to the life you deserve.